0: Welcome to the Stockout. I'm Mike Bouton, I'm the head of intermodal solutions here at Freightwaves. And the Stockout is your show about all things related to the consumer packaged goods, CPG industry, and their supply chains. And today I'm going to be talking through a couple of companies that uh, reported earnings last week, a couple of the very largest players reported earnings. We had Nestle, or we had Procter Gamble also to talk about why we at freight waves do not think there's going to be much of any uh, peak season in terms of freight transportation uh, that's been a big theme uh, last week from a lot of the carriers reporting earnings and also been a big theme for you know really a number of months um, in the data that we're seeing at uh freight waves and then on this show I'll also be talking to Kevin Williamson he's the CEO of RJW Logistics Group um, this is a company that helps CPG companies lower their transportation costs by consolidating um, LTL into into truckload. So be talking to him. um, But first, a word from today's sponsor, which is RJW Logistics Group. RJW owns and operates every step of the middle mile. As an asset-based integrated logistics company, they offer a full suite of retail supply chain solutions under one roof, including industry-leading retail consolidation that consistently delivers over 98% on time and in full month after month to many retailers. RJW's programs offer global suppliers control and transparency, helping them improve in-stocks, achieve retailer compliance, grow market share, and increase sales. Visit rjwgroup.com to optimize your supply chain today. So big thanks to RJW. Logistics Group has been a big deal is is achieving those in-stocks and avoiding those uh, retailer uh, fees. So with that, I'll go into the first topic, which is Nestle's results. I really thought showed a lot of resilience uh, last week when they reported um, it's a stock chart for the Nestle ADR. So it's a Swiss company. If you wanted to invest in it um, as a U.S. Uh, investor, this would be the easiest way to do it. You see it's kind of back. This is a five-year chart. So it's kind of back to pre-pandemic uh, levels. Uh, still a decent return over, over five years. And, um, you know, really sort of the, the key takeaway for me for Nestle is that they're really seeing a limited demand elasticity so far? So if you just look at their North American segment, which I think is going to be the segment that's most applicable to those people that were that are watching this show. Is their pricing was up eleven point one percent in the quarter, and their volume was basically flat up zero point one percent. So really, you know, I think most businesses would take that eleven percent price increase, not seeing any any demand uh, degradation. Um, they did say they are seeing some elasticity in uh, certain foods and dairy. Um, but they say it's sort of been really limited in, in light of the the pricing um, actions that they've taken. You know, dairy has been one of the most inflationary uh, components. Uh, you know, categories of food. Um, they're saying worldwide sales growth eight and a half percent, lower than the you know the eight to nine percent that, that they were seeing um, and nine uh, percent year to date. So they've maybe seen just a little bit of slowing in their uh, sales relative to you know what they saw earlier in the year, but really doesn't seem to be a be too big. Of a deal. Um, like most CPGs, they're still trying to get caught up on margins. Um, and w- would say that you know, virtually all CPGs have lower uh you know gross margin and operating margin that they had before you know the pandemic. Um, they say that's gonna the, the catch-up on gross margin is gonna take them into 2023. Uh not a surprise there. They uh, maybe one thing that was a surprise, they acquired uh, Seattle's best from Starbucks. So that's gonna bolster out their. Um, coffee offerings—they've gotten to be the biggest, um, you know, I guess the second biggest player in uh, packaged coffee after JM Smucker Company. Really, sort of addressing the the higher end brands, um, things like the Nest, Nespresso, and they, you know, they did that big deal with Starbucks, you know, f- a few years ago. Um, seems to be be doing well with that. The Seattle's Best gets them into that mid range, uh, you know, category. You know, got some detail uh, from Nestle on their analyst call in terms of what uh, sort of, uh, you know, strategies they're taking in terms of supply chain management. And one of the big ones is uh, reducing the number of SKUs, which we've seen from a lot of other CPG companies. And Nestle calls this cutting the tail to push the head. Which is kind of a silly slogan, but I think a good strategy. They they're so big in a lot of these food products that they say, well, you know, if they eliminate the lower performing SKUs, their customers are going just, just going to go right to their their better performing SKUs. That's going to lead to improved um, you know efficiency, and I and I think that's a, a, a solid strategy. Um, they do tend to you know have a strategy that. Is in the higher, um, you know, pro- tier of product categories. As like I said a few years ago, they about 11% of their product portfolio was in what they would call premium brands. Now it's 35%, um, which really positions them well to handle this type of, uh, you know, marketplace where you know some consumers are cutting back, going to private label. It's really not as big of a of an impact on the higher. Um, income uh, consumers, and then they're in a lot of products that just tend to be more stable, either because they taste a certain way or because they're more habit-forming uh, like coffee. They did have an interesting comment on um, you know, their own prices versus private label brands, and they say that the spread there um, between uh, their price and the private label has narrowed a little bit, and they, they attribute that to so much of the price increase in packaged food coming from Ingredients ingredients make up a larger portion of the uh, costs for a private label, um, and so they've had the private labels have to increase more on a percent basis, and so those prices have uh, narrowed a little bit. Um, Nestle also talked about how they increased their prices maybe a little bit earlier than the competition increased their prices, and that seems to go into the broader strategy of you know s- selling into the retailers. When the ingredient prices start to finally crack um you know a lot in the industry think that that's when the retailers will no longer accept price increases from the cpgs that they're doing more to audit what the cpgs should really have to increase their prices uh in order to preserve margins and so uh nestle is taking the approach that they you know increase their price a little bit before some of their competitors do um you know that seems to be a, a smart strategy also um and maybe it's a little bit less, less noticeable now um, with, with other CPGs still you know, raising their, their, their prices, although I think we're getting a little bit close to a period where those prices level out at a at a relatively high level. So most things are going well at uh, Nestle. Uh, I'll move on to uh, the other next topic here is Procter & Gamble show consumers are trading down a bit in personal care products and consumer staples. Um I have a Procter & Gamble you know, price chart. Which this was a, a stock that really performed tremendously well from you know, let's call it the beginning of, of 2018 up through uh, towards the beginning of the pandemic. Went from seventy dollars a share to 130 dollars a share. You know, really outperformed um, you know its competitor Unilever. It's been a little bit choppy since then, but still, we're, you know, shares are above pre pandemic levels. And was really one of the companies that earlier in the year when we had the big stock market sell off. You know, one of the names that benefited from that flight to quality to go into something that, you know, is going to be more more stable. Um, you know, in the company, in this in the third quarter is able to beat estimates for earnings and, and revenue. They did say volume declined the past two quarters. And it seems like maybe the, the biggest culprit for this is the, the foreign exchange, where um, that is, is up being a bigger drag um, than they previously you know believed with the stronger dollar so um, you know, they have to translate those foreign sales back in in into dollars. Like Nestle seeing a gross margin, a contraction. They said gross margin declined 160 basis points or 130 basis points on a, a currency neutral basis, operating margins still down 70 basis points versus a year ago. So that's true of most CPGs. It does take time to to, to catch up. Uh the costs rise faster than a lot of the, the CPG companies will push the pricing through the retail channel and and onto. To consumers um, would say that um, the thing that stood out to me with procter gamble volume decline three percent year over year that's actually kind of a big decline for something that um, is is such a a staple most of the product categories are there are options to trade down to lower brands in a lot of those categories uh but uh, you consider pricing you know increased nine percent it's kind of a one to three you know elasticity uh you know ratio of volume to price so still not terrible, and um, I think the company will will take that. They did, um, you know, have have a guidance now for sales growth of negative three percent to one percent. That includes a, a six point negative impact for, for, for foreign exchange. So that's I think going to be a theme as more of these multinationals that report in U.S. dollars report earnings is, is this headwind from foreign exchange doesn't impact Nestle. There's a, a Swiss uh, company can actually be a, a, a benefit to, to them. Um, you know, with that, I'll just touch briefly on this article that, that came across a day or two ago from Windsight Grocery Business. They said that there's going to be a shrinking, you know, a ba- they're seeing a, a shrinking basket size when consumers go to the grocery store. Uh, they said that the number of consumers that are purchasing fewer items went from 15% a year ago now to 24% last month. And maybe what's surprising is they're seeing that across income levels, including those making over $100,000 a year, are, are buying fewer items uh there's sort of uh groceries being lumped into two categories that are doing well some of those are you know big package sizes where you get a a smaller a a cost per unit and then the other ones are just smaller package sizes which is um just a smaller overall cost that would apply more to the consumers that are cash strapped so the the package sizes that are kind of in the middle uh getting kind of squeezed out here um I'll touch briefly on an article I just came across that Craig Fuller, our CEO, wrote uh, for freight companies this peak uh, will be me- uh, weak. Uh, he has a rhyme in there. You know, I'd say go ahead and read that article. I'm not going to go through it because we're in a little bit uh, time strapped, and I can't say those things as well as, as he did. But for me, the biggest quote last week from the carriers that reported earnings was J.B. Hunt, which said that the peak season this year... Will not be much of an event, and they're uh, the biggest domestic intermodal, you know, company, very big in other sectors of uh, domestic uh, tra- transportation as well, tr- you know, truckload, um, you know, uh, dedicated, and and brokerage. But you know, intermodal does tend to have you know such a peak season in uh, you know October and uh, November. They're not seeing that, uh, you know, this year. I would say go read that article. Um, also, check out the, the the newsletter that I sent out, on uh, went out Sunday morning. Went through some of the, the data. The, the data highlights. Um, so that's a little bit of an overview of the news. Go read that article. And uh, I just want to give a little bit, um, another shout out to RJW for sponsoring this show. Are you assessing the advantages of prepaid versus collect freight management for delivery into retail? RJW's retail consolidation program consistently delivers over 90% on time and in full to ensure a stronger shelf presence, increase in stocks, retailer compliance, and overall retail supply chain improvement, visit rjwgroup.com to speak with a retail logistics expert about the advantages of RJW's program and to make the best decisions for your business. So thanks to RJW and uh, would like to bring on uh, today's guest, Kevin Williamson. He's the CEO of RJW Logistics Group. Um, Kevin, thank you for for joining me. Good to see you again. Uh, thanks for sponsoring the
1: show again. Absolutely. Glad, uh, glad to sponsor CPG companies and in your show, uh, a lot of interesting information uh, that you you continue to share with the group. So great, well, appreciate you. that. Appreciate that. So RJW
0: Group. Um, I would ask the production team to put up the, the chart with the trucks because that's the one to me that that helps most with understanding RJW. So you have the customers, which would be like a CPG company. I mean, you think red for Kellogg maybe, and then that goes into this warehouse consolidation center that rgw has in chicago and then um you know you can have those those trucks mixed and so there uh you're taking advantage of the um greater efficiency of filling up the full truck and goes to the retailer D- dc and then uh, rgw manages those truck loads so you um you know eliminate the on stock uh, the, the out of stock uh you know not having it in full etc um you know fees anything
1: you would add to that as a sort of a quick summary yeah i mean yeah we're we're representing uh, over 550 different suppliers, uh, CPG companies, food beverage, every almost every category within the retail store, um, and taking those LTLs, combining them into truckload quantities, and then delivering them uh, straight to the RDCs, which uh, then fulfill those stores afterwards. So we're 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 definitely uh, in the warehouse space, and the trucking space, and uh, analytical space to look at how a supplier can get better in stocks and be a better supplier to get extensions within um, their item set or, um, or mod sets on, a, on an annual basis.
0: Got it. And on the topic of warehousing space, I wanted to ask you, we hear, we hear a lot about that. Sort of from, what, from your perspective, what's the current state of the, the warehousing uh, space?
1: It's interesting. Um, you know, We've got 5.2 million square feet this year we have added a total of three buildings, 1.8 million square feet. And I've seen kind of the constraints to the warehouse space by limited amount of warehouse space that was needed as we came through the pandemic. The demand for uh, more space for the demand that was out there was high. So um, as we have progressed through those three different warehouses uh, that we leased this year, uh, it was becoming more and more difficult uh, to find that five hundred thousand square foot space or or more. Um, it it began to to shrink and vacancies uh, there were fewer and fewer. Uh, and most recently, if if you look at the current state of warehouse space, um, while a lot of companies have slowed down going out due to a potential re- or a recession that we're living in. And potentially going to get worse. Um, inventory levels have spiked, probably to the peak right now, um, where inventories are at a, are, are at a high, all-time um, high. Uh, just just because it's slowed down on the back end, um, and people were preparing for the for the demand early in the year to duplicate 2021, uh, which isn't the case this year.
0: Yeah, so in terms of that, I mean, warehouse is very full right now. Um, I mean, wh- what constraints do you see on the market in terms of adding new capacity there? Is it is it not having the space? Is it not wanting to sort of build the church for Easter Sunday? What, what do you see there?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of projects uh, right now um, across the country with buildings going up um, with investment and buying dirt and uh, raw materials will return those constructions of the delivery of new warehouses that are going to come to the market um, along with the construction of what's available today in the short term, we see that you know, there's not a lot of, of space, depending on which market you're sitting in, um, to go out and find um, space to, to hold those inventory levels. So as, as you look at too much inventory, um, a lot of that inventory that that, that was ordered was ordered 12, 14 to, to 20 weeks ago. So they're, they're ordering that based on lead time to get the raw materials and bring it into the, into the facilities and then a slowdown in, in customer demand kind of constrained what's available out there right now. But I think we're, we're sitting at the peak of inventory holds right now, um, looking at international containers being imported, slowing down. Um, and then you know, goods for replenishment slowing down depending on which category you're selling into to those retailers.
0: Yeah, that seems to be the issue is they um you have to order these things 15 or 20 weeks ahead of time. Sometimes the consumer spending can go down sharply and then you're left with too much, too much inventory. Um, you know, maybe in, in responding to not having enough inventory earlier, so you you were doubling down on how much you were you were ordering. You um, know, how do you see? I mean, I can combine um, maybe a couple different sectors into one here. How do you see retailers responding to this? How do you see the uh, you know companies that are maybe CPG companies or other just uh, consumer goods companies uh, responding to this? And then, what do you think we're going to see heading into the peak holiday season? I mean, you would think there would be just kind of, kind of a bonanza of 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 cutting prices, um, but, but but how do you think about that?
1: Yeah. Um, well. It- We've seen it already, where you know patio furniture. I was walking through Walmart uh, at the end of the season and just slashed patio furniture that we're selling early in the season at eight, nine hundred dollars down to two hundred, because retailers like Target and, and others have a backlog where they've got to get space on the shelves with items that aren't moving right now. So they're, they're in a predicament where they've got containers they've got warehouse full of goods that they want to bring into the seasonal set, whether it be Halloween or Thanksgiving into Christmas. But in order to do that, they've got to get these no moving items off their shelf. So the only way that retailers can, can deal with that congestion at the store level, um, at the shelf level, is to discount the heck out of it. Um, and, and that's that's what we're seeing right now. And I, I think we're going to continue to see more and more of that through the peak where they've ordered too much, because in some cases, retailers are planning for seasonal in the spring, if not sooner. Um, and looking at last year's high demand where retailers didn't have enough inventory and if they had enough inventory, they'd be able to sell out a bit quickly. Um, You know, you look at the the first quarter after peak last year, um, everybody talked about just-in-case inventory, just-in-case inventory, because if you get it, you're going to sell it. Um, And everybody jumped the gun to get that just-in-case inventory, It pushed up inventory levels, demand stopped. And now we're in the predicament we're at today. So, you know, how retailers are responding to it is heavy discounts. And I think uh, as we get past Black Friday in a week, earnings, um, we're we're gonna we're gonna start seeing major um, uh, major discounts at the at the retailing levels, especially with inflation that's happening. So you might see some uh, some big big discounts uh, the closer we get to the holiday because they want to get rid of that inventory as well as a supplier. Um, you know, suppliers I look at. And we see it in our business they're they're scrambling for extra space, you know, for the raw materials that they're not needed right now due to them having too many f- finished good inventory levels. So they've got places to put that, they're scrambling. Uh, they're looking at their their item sets as you mentioned before, getting rid of the low performing items that uh, that aren't moving and then focusing on the ones that are and putting all of their effort and concentration, in those items that are, that are really, really moving. So reduction in, in skewed counts and, um, getting rid of those, whether they're donating them, whether they're destroying them. If, if, if you're, if you've got shelf life and you're in the CPG end disposal, we're seeing more and more of, and, uh, donations where they can donate. Um, so, you know, that, that's my take on it for peak season and how suppliers and retailers are kind of dealing with it.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, there's there's a lot of you know levers they need to pull, and it seems like well, the the rising interest rate environment just makes carrying lots of inventory more expensive, and um, you know, so many items just have you know shelf life, even if you, know, you don't think it's a shelf life, because it's you know only sells during certain you know seasons, and kind of have the opposite you know problem that we had. You know, like last year at this time, the Halloween costumes didn't come until November or December. So um, it, it's, it's amazing the difference, uh, the difference a year makes in, in the world of, of freight transportation. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, just the fluctuation in the rates to, to lease warehousing space and how long it takes for the construction of new warehousing space to come on to come online? Um, do you have any thoughts on, on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, we're looking in, in other markets right now and what, you know, I, I have a lot of conversations with a, a lot of the, the big uh, players when, when it comes to building and delivering uh, warehouse space. From what, from what we're seeing, um, again, I think that we're sitting at the peak when it comes to leases. Um, we've seen a slowdown in demand for the limited space that's, that's ready. But uh there there are tens of millions of square feet of warehouse in Chicago, for instance, uh alone that are gonna be delivered in the first and second quarter of next year. Um, wow. that inventory, that inventory levels that we're seeing uh that are peaking, I believe, because they've stopped ordering. You've seen it imports from Asia that's coming in and and you're starting to see the peak of all the raw materials, the inventory finished goods those are at the peak and they're gonna to begin to fall. So within the next six to 10 months, I expect um, leases to not be renewed. Um, delivery mm-hmm. of I think 30 million square feet in Chicago alone is one example. Um, and and we're gonna to start to see demand for leasing space settle. I mean, you've seen it with uh, Amazon giving back buildings and seeing what they're seeing. Um, mm-hmm. Most recently, XBO announced down in Dallas. uh, They were giving back 1.2 million square feet um, in in partnership with Pepsi uh, to give that space back. I think we're going to continue to see that. We're going to continue to see uh, trucking companies go out of business. I think because of the the interesting information you talked about for demand of trucks and and that market falling, um, and and we'll fall into a recession. So uh, there's going to be opportunities with every recession. Uh, but positioning yourself um, to be able to go to lease, renew lease, and, and really uh, getting it back to uh, the leaseor's advantage rather than the landlord's advantage, I think, is coming here pretty soon. It was short-lived through the pandemic, um, but that that's my guess, and it's obviously a guess. From the information that I, I have. think that's
0: probably I think that's probably going to be right. I mean, if we have a sonar chart on that. If the production team could could put that up um, on uh, this is logistics managers index um, warehousing prices, and that chart makes you think they did peak already earlier this year. Um, so I'm not sure exactly how this is calculated, but um, you know, going from from 90 was sort of all time high, five year chart. Now it's sort of back down to where it was pre pandemic levels. So I sort of heard it here. Um, you know, if you're in the middle of building a a warehouse, you're probably too late, and um, you know maybe try to uh, not you know not do that because it just seems like there's going to be more warehousing space that comes online right in time for the inventories to be brought down when they're you know, it takes time for the warehouses to be bought, uh, built and it takes time for warehouse for inventories to be brought down and those those things could could coincide. Um, so that's really all the time we have, but you know I want to thank you, Kevin uh, Williamson, for um, joining me on the show. Where can folks uh, reach out to you?
1: Uh, you, you guys can catch us at uh, rjwgroup.com. A lot more information on what we do and uh, contact information as well. Fantastic. Uh, go Go do that and hope
0: everyone has a great day.